Section 57 of The Valley of the Moon by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 3, Chapter 22. They cantered out the gate, thundered across the bridge, and passed Trillium Covert before they pulled in on the grade of Wild Water Canyon. Saxon had chosen her field on the big spur of Sonoma Mountain as the objective of their ride. "'Say I bumped into something big this morning when I was going to fetch Ramona,' Billy said. The clay pit trouble banished for the time. "'You know the hundred and forty. I passed young Siobhan along the road. And I don't know why, just for ducks, I guess. I up and asked him if he thought the old man would lease the hundred and forty to me. And what do you think? He said the old man didn't own it. Was just leasing it himself. That's how we was always seeing his cattle on it. It's a gouge into his land, for he owns everything on three sides of it. Next I met Ping. He said Hilliard owned it and was willing to sell. Only Siobhan didn't have the price. Then coming back, I looked in on Payne. He's quit blacksmithing. His back's hurtin' him from a kick. And just starting in for real estate. Sure, he said. Hilliard would sell, and had already listed the land with him. Siobhan's overpastured it, and Hilliard won't give him another lease. When they had climbed out of Wildwater Canyon, they turned their horses about and halted on the rim where they could look across at the three densely wooded knolls in the midst of the desired hundred and forty. "'We'll get it yet,' Saxon said. "'Sure we will,' Billy agreed, with careless certitude. "'I've been looking over the big adobe barn again, just the thing for a raft of horses, and a new roof will be cheaper than I thought, though neither Siobhan nor me will be in the market to buy it right away, with the clay pinching out. When they reached Saxon's field, which they had learned was the property of Redwood Thompson, they tied their horses and entered it on foot. The hay just cut was being raked by Thompson, who hallowed a greeting to them. It was a cloudless, windless day, and they sought refuge from the sun in the woods beyond. They encountered a dim trail. It's a cow trail, Billy declared. I'll bet there's a teeny pasture tucked away somewhere in them trees. Let's follow it. A quarter of an hour later, several hundred feet up the side of the spur, they emerged on an open, grassy space of bare hillside. Most of the hundred and forty, two miles away, lay beneath them, while they were level with the tops of the three knolls. Billy paused to gaze upon the much-desired land, and Saxon joined him. What is that? she asked, pointing toward the knolls. Up the little canyon, to the left of it. There on the farthest knoll, right under that spruce that's leaning over. What Billy saw was a white scar on the canyon wall. It's one on me, he said, studying the scar. I thought I knew every inch of this land, but I'd never seen that before. Why, I was right in there at the head of the canyon the first part of the winter. It's awful wild. Walls of the canyon, like the sides of a steeple, and covered with thick woods. What is it, she asked, a slide? Must be. 
brought down by the heavy rains, if I don't miss my guess. Billy broke off, forgetting in the intensity with which he continued to look. Hilliard sell for thirty an acre, he began again, disconnectedly. Good land, bad land, and all. Just as it runs, thirty an acre. That's forty-two hundred. Payne's new at real estate, and I'll make him split his commission and get the easiest terms ever. We can reborrow that four hundred from Go Yum. And I can borrow money on my horses and wagons. Are you going to buy it today? Saxon teased. She scarcely touched the edge of his thought. He looked at her as if he had heard, then forgot her the next moment. Headwork, he mumbled, headwork. If I don't put over a hot one. He started back down the cow trail, recollected Saxon, and called over his shoulder. Come on, let's hustle. I want to ride over and look at that. So rapidly did he go down the trail and across the field that Saxon had no time for questions. She was almost breathless from her effort to keep up with him. What is it, she begged, as he lifted her to the saddle. Maybe it's all a joke. I'll tell you about it afterward, he put her off. They galloped on the levels, trotted down the gentler slopes of road, and not until on the deep descent of Wildwater Canyon did they rein to a walk. Billy's preoccupation was gone, and Saxon took advantage to broach a subject which had been on her mind for some time. Clara Hastings told me the other day that they're going to have a house party. The hazards are to be there, and the halls, and Roy Blanchard. She looked at Billy anxiously. At the mention of Blanchard, his head had tossed up as to a bugle call. Slowly a whimsical twinkle began to glint up through the cloudy blue eyes of his. It's a long time since you told any man he was standing on his foot, she ventured slyly. Billy began to grin sheepishly. Ah, oh, that's all right, he said in mock lordly fashion. Roy Blanchard could come. I'll let him. All that was a long time ago. Besides, I'm too busy to fool with such things. He urged his horse on at a faster walk, and as soon as the slope lessened, broke into a trot. At Trillium Covert, they were galloping. You'll have to stop for dinner first, Saxon said, as they neared the gate of Madrano Ranch. You stop, he answered. I don't want no dinner. But I want to go with you, she pleaded. What is it? I don't dast tell you. You go on in and get your dinner. Not after that, she said. Nothing can keep me from coming along now. Half a mile further on, they left the highway, passed through a patent gate, which Billy had installed, and crossed the fields on a road which was coated thickly with chalky dust. This was the road that led to Chevon's clay pit. The hundred and forty lay to the west. Two wagons and a cloud of dust came into sight. Your teams, Billy, cried Saxon. Think of it, just by the use of the head, earning your money while you're riding around with me. Makes me ashamed to think how much cash money each one of them teams is bringing me every day, he acknowledged. They were turning off from the road toward the bars, which gave entrance to the 140, when the driver of the foremost wagon hallowed and waved his hand. They drew in their horses and waited. 
The big roans broke loose, the driver said, as he stopped beside them. Clean, crazy loco, biting, squealing, striking, kicking, kicked clean out of the harness like it was paper, bit a chunk out of Baldy the size of a saucer, and wound up by breaking his own hind leg. Liveliest fifteen minutes I ever seen. Sure it's broke, Billy demanded sharply. Sure thing. Well, after you unload, drive around by the other barn and get Ben. He's in the corral. Tell Matthews to be easy with him and get a gun. Sammy's got one. You'll have to see to the big roan. I ain't got time now. Why couldn't Matthews come along with you for Ben? You'd save time. Oh, he's just sticking around and waiting, the driver answered. He reckoned I could get Ben. And lose time, huh? We'll get a move on. That's the way of it, Billy growled to Saxon as they rode on. No savvy, no head. One man setting down and holding his hands while another team drives out of its way, doing what he ought to done. That's the trouble with two-dollar-a-day men. With two-dollar-a-day heads, Saxon said quickly, what kind of heads do you expect for two dollars? That's right, too, Billy acknowledged the hit. If they had been better heads, they'd be in the cities like all the rest of the better men. And the better men are a lot of dummies, too. They don't know the big chances in the country, or you couldn't hold them from it. Billy dismounted, took the three bars down, let his horse through, then put up the bars. When I get this place, there'll be a gate here, he announced. Pay for itself at no time. It's the thousand and one little things like this that count up big when you put them together. He sighed contentedly. I never used to think about such things. But when we shook Oakland, I began to wise up. It was them San Leandro Portuguese that gave me my first eye-opener. I'd been asleep before that. They skirted the lower of the three fields, where the ripe hay stood uncut. Billy pointed with eloquent disgust to a break in the fence, slovenly repaired, and onto the standing grain, much trampled by the cattle. Them's the things, he criticized, old style, and look how thin that crop is, and the shallow plowing. Scrub cattle, scrub seed, scrub farming. Chavon's worked it for eight years now, and never rested it once, never put anything in for what he took out except the cattle, into the stubble the minute the hay was on. In a pasture glade further on, they came upon a bunch of cattle. Look at that bull, Saxon. Scrub's no name for it. There ought to be a state law against letting such animals exist. No wonder Chavon's that land poor. He'd had to sink all his clay pit earnings into taxes and interest. He can't make his land pay. Take this hundred and forty. Anybody with savvy can just rake silver dollars off it. I'll show em. They passed the big adobe barn in the distance. A few dollars at the right time would have saved hundreds on that roof, Billy commented. Well, anyway, I won't be paying for any improvements when I buy. And I'll tell you another thing. This ranch is full of water. And if Glen Ellen ever grows, they'll have to come see me for their water supply. Billy knew the ranch thoroughly and took shortcuts through the woods by way of cattle paths. Once he reined in abruptly 
and both stopped. Confronting them, a dozen paces away, was a half-grown red fox. For half a minute, with beady eyes, the wild thing studied them, with twitching, sensitive nose, reading the messages of the air. Then, velvet-footed, it leaped aside and was gone among the trees. The son of a gun, Billy ejaculated. As they approached Wildwater, they rode out into a long, narrow meadow. In the middle was a pond. Natural reservoir. When Glen Ellen begins to buy water, Billy said. See down at the lower end there? Wouldn't cost hardly anything to throw a dam across. And I can pipe in all kinds of hill drip. And water's going to be money in this valley, not a thousand years from now. And all the ginks and boobs and dubs and gazabos pounding their ear deado and not seeing it coming. And surveyors working up the valley for an electric road from Sausalito with a branch up Napa Valley. They came to the rim of Wildwater Canyon. Leaning far back in their saddles, they slid the horses down a steep declivity through big spruce woods to an ancient and all but obliterated trail. They cut this trail way back in the fifties, Billy explained. I only found it by accident. Then I asked Pope yesterday. He was born in this valley. He said it was a fake mining rush across from Petaluma. The gamblers got it up, and they must have drawn a thousand suckers. You see that flat there, and the old stumps? That's where the camp was. They set the tables up under the trees. The flat used to be bigger, but the creek's eaten into it. Pope said there was a couple of killings and one lynching. Lying low against their horses' necks, they scrambled up a steep cattle trail out of the canyon and began to work across rough country toward the knolls. Say, Saxon, you're always looking for something pretty. I'll show you what will make your hair stand up as soon as we get through this manzanita. Never in all their travels had Saxon seen so lovely a vista as the one that greeted them when they emerged. The dim trail lay like a rambling red shadow cast on the soft forest floor by the great redwoods and overarching oaks. It seemed as if all the local variety of trees and vines had conspired to weave the leafy roof, maples, big madronos and laurels, and lofty tan-bark oaks, scaled and wrapped and interwound with wild grape and flaming poison oak. Saxon drew Billy's eyes to a mossy bank of five-fingered ferns. All slopes seemed to meet to form this basin and colossal forest bower. Underfoot, the floor was spongy with water. An invisible streamlet whispered under broad fronded breaks. On every hand opened tiny vistas of enchantment, where young redwoods grouped still and stately about fallen giants, shoulder-high to the horses, moss-covered and dissolving into mold. At last, after another quarter of an hour, they tied their horses on the rim of the narrow canyon that penetrated the wilderness of the knolls. Through a rift in the trees, Billy pointed to the top of the leaning spruce. It's right under that, he said. We'll have to follow up the bed of the creek. There ain't no trail. 
though you'll see plenty of deer paths crossing the creek. You'll get your feet wet. Saxon laughed her joy and held on close to his heels, splashing through pools, crawling hand and foot up the slippery faces of water-worn rocks, and worming under trunks of old fallen trees. There ain't no real bedrock in the whole mountain, Billy elucidated, so the stream cuts deeper and deeper, and that keeps the sides caving in. They're as steep as they can be without falling down. A little farther up, the canyon ain't much more than a crack in the ground, but a mighty deep one, if anybody should ask you. You can spit across it and break your neck in it. The climbing grew more difficult, and they were finally halted in a narrow cleft by a drift jam. You wait here, Billy directed, and lying flat, squirmed on through crashing brush. Saxon waited till all sound had died away. She waited ten minutes longer, then followed by the way Billy had broken. Where the bed of the deep canyon became impossible, she came upon what she was sure was a deer path that skirted the steep side and was a tunnel through the close greenery. She caught a glimpse of the overhanging spruce almost above her head on the opposite side, and emerged on a pool of clear water in a clay-like basin. The basin was of recent origin, having been formed by a slide of earthen trees. Across the pool arose an almost sheer wall of white. She recognized it for what it was, and looked about for Billy. She heard him whistle and looked up. Two hundred feet above, at the perilous top of the white wall, he was holding on to a tree trunk. The overhanging spruce was nearby. I can see the little pasture back of your field, he called down. No wonder nobody ever piped this off. The only place they could see it from is that speck of pasture, and you saw it first. Wait till I come down and tell you all about it. I didn't dast before. It required no shrewdness to guess the truth. Saxon knew this was the precious clay required by the brickyard. Billy circled wide of the slide and came down the canyon wall from tree to tree as descending a ladder. Ain't it a peach, he exalted, as he dropped beside her. Just look at it, hidden away under four feet of soil, where nobody could see it, and just waiting for us to hit the valley of the moon. Then it up and slides a piece of the skin off so as we can see it. Is it the real clay? Saxon asked anxiously. You bet your sweet life. I've handled too much of it not to know it in the dark. Just rub a piece between your fingers, like that. Why, I could tell by the taste of it. I've eaten enough of the dust of the teams. Here's where our fun begins. Why, you know, we've been working our heads off since we hit this valley. Now we're on Easy Street. But you don't own it, Saxon objected. Well, you won't be a hundred years old before I do. Straight from here I hike to Payne and bind the bargain, an option, you know, while the title's searching and I'm raising money. We'll borrow that four hundred back again from Go Yum, and I'll borrow all I can get on my horses and wagons, and Hazel and Hattie, and everything that's worth a cent. And then I get the deed with a mortgage on it 
to Hilliard for the balance. And then, it's taking candy from a baby. I'll contract with the brickyard for twenty cents a yard, and maybe more. They'll be crazy with joy when they see it. Don't need any borings. There are nearly two hundred feet of it exposed up and down. The whole knoll's clay, with a skin of soil over it. But you'll spoil all the beautiful canyon hauling out the clay, Saxon cried with alarm. Nope, only the knoll. The road'll come in from the other side. It'll be only half a mile to Chevon's pit. I'll build the road and charge steeper teaming, or the brickyard can build it, and I'll team for the same rate as before, and twenty cents a yard pouring in, all profit from the jump. I'll sure have to buy more horses to do the work. They sat hand in hand beside the pool and talked over the details. Say, Saxon, Billy said, after a pause had fallen, sing Harvest Days, won't you? And when she had complied, the first time you sung that song for me was coming home from the picnic on the train. The very first day we met each other, she broke in, what did you think about me that day? Why, what I've thought ever since, that you was made for me. I thought that right at the jump, in the first waltz. And what'd you think of me? Oh, I wondered, and before the first waltz, too, when we were introduced and shook hands, I wondered if you were the man. Those were the very words that flashed into my mind. Is he the man? And I kind of looked a little some good to you, he queried. I thought so, and my eyesight has always been good. Say, Billy, went off on a tangent, by next winter, with everything humming and shipshape, what's the matter with us making a visit to Carmel? It'll be slack time for you with the vegetables, and I'll be able to afford a foreman. Saxon's lack of enthusiasm surprised him. What's wrong, he demanded quickly. With downcast demorous eyes and hesitating speech, Saxon said, I did something yesterday without asking your advice, Billy. He waited. I wrote to Tom, she added, with an air of timid confession. Still he waited, for he knew not what. I asked him to ship up that old chest of drawers, my mother's, you remember, that we stored with him. Huh, I don't see anything out of the way about that, Billy said with relief. We need the chest, don't we? And we can afford to pay the freight on it, can't we? You are a dear stupid man, that's what you are. Don't you know what's in that chest? He shook his head, and what she added was so soft that it was almost a whisper. The baby clothes. No, he exclaimed. True. Sure? She nodded her head, her cheeks flooding with quick color. It's what I wanted, Saxon, more than anything else in the world. I've been thinking a whole lot about it lately, ever since we hit the valley, he went on, brokenly, and for the first time she saw tears, unmistakable, in his eyes. But after all I've done, and the hell I've raised and everything, I, I never urged you or said a word about it. But I wanted it. Oh, I wanted it, like I want you now. His open arms received her, and the pool in the heart of the canyon knew a tender silence.
Saxon felt Billy's finger laid warningly on her lips. Guided by his hand, she turned her head back, and together they gazed far up the side of the knoll where a doe and a spotted fawn looked down upon them from a tiny open space between the trees. End of section 57 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas End of The Valley of the Moon by Jack London